Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. The word restoration can be defined as repairing something that has been broken. It could be a child's toy, a piece of furniture, a rundown old house, or even a damaged relationship. In our spiritual lives, we can feel broken or beat down, and in those cases, our joy or peace may need to be restored. Let's listen to see how God could do just that in John's message entitled, Restoration. Today, I want to kind of revisit something we were talking about last Sunday morning. Do you remember the story, we, the sermon I did, talking about when Jesus restored Simon Peter to the ministry after Peter had denied that he knew Jesus? And so I did a sermon on restoration, how God restores us. Even when we sin, God, just like a, a doctor would take a broken bone and reset that bone, and then that bone would be stronger than it was before it was broken, God does that in our lives. God is a God of restoration. Well, today, I want us to continue on that topic of restoration, except today we're not so much thinking about sin. I mean, we, we know God restores us when we sin, but today I want us to think about how God restores us in our lives, how He restores things to us that we have lost. And so when I was working on this, I've listed out six different areas in our lives that sometimes need to be restored. In other words, these are qualities or things that we have in our lives, and sometimes we just lose those things. Let me just read this list to you. First of all, sometimes we lose our peace, and that peace needs to be restored. Sometimes we lose our joy or our courage, our energy. Sometimes we lose our hope for the future, and sometimes we lose our vision. That is, we lose an ability to have a clear vision and a clear direction for where we're going in life. So just listen at these, at these different things that we can lose. Peace, joy, courage, energy, hope, and vision. These are things that God gives us. God wants us to have all of those things. And yet, we know that as Christians, we are in a spiritual battle, we're in a spiritual war, we have an enemy, the devil, and the devil doesn't want us to have those things. Now, one of the things about the devil that is very helpful for us to remember is that among other things, he is a thief. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus identified the devil as a thief. He said, the thief has come to steal and so one of the things the devil will do in your life when he sees God giving you good things like peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Or joy. God wants you to have joy. All these things. The devil sees a Christian experiencing peace and joy and victory and courage and contentment and hope and a clear vision for where he's going in the future. And the devil, as a thief, says, I don't want that believer to have any of those things. And so he comes and he begins to steal. He begins to pull away from us all these things that God has given us because that's who he is. He is a thief and he doesn't want you to be uh, happy and, and, and full of life and energy and positive and all those things that all of us want. And this is why sometimes in our lives, we're living our lives and we just have a thought run through our mind that says, I'm not as happy as I used to be. 
Or I'm not as peaceful as I'm accustomed to being. Or my mind doesn't seem to be as clear as it is when I'm hitting on all cylinders. And sometimes we wonder, well, what, what has happened to me? What, what's wrong? Well, sometimes when we get like that, maybe we've been negligent. Maybe we've neglected to pray and read our Bible and spend time with God. But sometimes we can just get robbed by the devil and we haven't done anything wrong. I mean, he just comes and he begins to try to take these things away from us. It's not, it's not our own fault. We, we've not been negligent. We have just been robbed of the devil. Now, as I was thinking about the devil, th- preparing this message, I think there's some things about him that, that we need to keep in mind. And before I get into this part of it, turn to Revelation chapter 20. In a few weeks, we're going to begin a series of sermons uh, on Sunday mornings from the book of Revelation. And I hope that will be a, a good series and a, and a blessed study. I, I think it will be. I'm excited about that. And that's going to begin, I'm not sure exactly when, but it's going to begin sometime fairly soon. But this past few days, I've been reading through the book of Revelation, and last week, I came to Revelation chapter 20, and I read it, and then I read chapters 21 and chapters 22 on the following days, and as I was reading this, I just began to think about the devil, and I was trying to get in his mind to understand you know, what is the devil thinking? What, does the, what is the devil experiencing in his life? What is, it, what, is the, what's the, what is the devil really like? And I want to show you some verses here in a moment. But the first thing I, w- I think we need to understand about the devil, as a, as a person, he's a fallen angel, and he's, 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 a, he's just a d- d- demonic spirit. But you need to understand this about the devil. First of all, the devil has absolutely no peace. He has absolutely no peace. Not only that, the devil has no joy in his heart. The devil is miserable. Sometimes we have the idea that God is over here telling us all the things we can't do, and the devil is telling us all the fun things we ought to do. And sometimes in our mind, we get to thinking, well, the devil is all about happiness and fun and and all these things. In fact, friend, the opposite is true. The devil has no joy in his heart. And not only that, the devil, if we were just getting into the mind of the devil and saying, what's it like to be the devil? The devil is full of fear. So these are bad qualities. No peace, no joy, and full of fear. You say, now why would the devil, what's he afraid of? Well, look in Revelation chapter 20. And this is talking about a time yet to come But the devil already knows that this is going to happen. It says in verse number 1, John said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him. So think about this. Today, as the devil lives his life, he is very much aware that there's coming a time when an angel is going to take a big chain and tie him up and bound him, bind him up real tightly. And then he's going to cast the devil into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, just the thought of that makes me cringe. How, how would you be functioning today if you knew that one day you were going to spend a thousand years chained in a bottomless pit, so in some kind of a free fall there for a thousand years? And then after that, look in verse number 10. It gets even worse for the devil. It says, the devil who deceived them 
was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so after a thousand years chained in a bottomless pit, he'll be released from that. And then he'll be cast in the lake of fire. He's going to be tormented day and night for all eternity. Now, the question is, does the devil know that's going to happen? Absolutely he knows that's going to happen. For one thing, it's in the Bible. And the devil's very familiar with the Bible, so he knows this is going to happen. And so that causes him to live his life with no peace, no joy. Who could be happy if you knew that were in your future? And not only that, full of fear. I mean, think about this. If I thought that in my future I was going to spend a thousand years in a bottomless pit and then eternity in hell, I'll guarantee you I would be full of fear. I would be an emotional basket case. I know I'm going to heaven and sometimes I'm still a basket case. But if, you, if a person thought, man, I might go to hell and spend eternity in hell, that, that will fill you with fear. Well, the devil is not wondering. He knows that's going to happen. And so think about this. Here's the devil, no peace, no joy, and full of fear. And he sees you as a child of God full of peace and joy and confidence and courage and, and hope for the future and vision and all these positive things. Now, what do you think the devil is a thief is going to do? I'll tell you exactly what he's going to do. He's going to come into your life and he's going to begin to try to anyway, to rob you of that peace, to rob you of that happiness and that joy, that courage that you have, that confidence about the future. See, the devil looks at his future. He doesn't have any confidence. He's fearful. And so he doesn't want you to have what he has. And so he comes along and he tries to rob the children of God. Now, in Revelation 21 and 22, we won't read these passages today, the two clearest chapters in all the Bible about heaven and what it's going to be like for us to be in heaven. I'll just give you a, a little glimpse of this. Look in verse number 4. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So think about this. In your future, if you're saved, you are headed to a perfect place where you will live in a perfect body, where you'll never know sickness, sadness, sorrow, pain, no more crying, none of that. So your future is fantastic. The devil knows that too. And he's sitting here thinking, wait a second. The child of God is headed to heaven where everything is going to be perfect. I'm headed to hell where I'm going to be tormented day and night for all eternity. Their future makes them happy and peaceful. My future makes me agitated and afraid. And so what does the thief do? The thief wants you to live your life the same way he lives his life. And so instead of having peace, he has misery. What does he want you to do? He wants you to have misery. Instead of joy, he has turmoil. What does he want? He wants you to have turmoil. And instead of confidence, he has fear. So what does he want you to have? He wants you to be full of fear. So the devil is a master at inflicting those turmoil, inner turmoil, angst, stress, uptightness. He's a master at in, inflicting and instilling that on the people of God. Misery fear, all these things. And when we get like that, we say, what in the world happened to my peace? And so sometimes we need to be restored. And sometimes we have to just be honest and say, God, I've lost my peace. That sense of calmness that I normally have, I don't have it right now. That sense of joy. And God, I need it to be restored. And so God is our restorer. Now, the word restore literally means to give back. 
If, if you've taken something that doesn't belong to you, when you restore that, what do you do? You give it back to the person that you took it from. Well, the Bible says God is our restorer. Now, God hasn't taken anything away from us. It's the devil who takes it away, or maybe we just forfeit it or through sin or whatever else. But God is a restorer, and he wants to give us back all the things that the devil has taken from us. Now, last night, as I was just kind of thinking about this, about restoration, how God gives back to us those things that we have lost, just listen to this. Don't necessarily try to write this down, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to make five statements, and I'm going to give you five scripture verses that tell how he restores and how he gives back things that we've lost. Just listen to this. First of all, God restores our material possessions that we've lost. In other words, somebody may have robbed you. You may have lost thousands of dollars on a business deal. Somebody didn't do you right. And so you have lost material possessions. Listen to what it says in Job 42.10. The Lord restored Job's losses. Job had lost all of his money, all of his sources of income, but the Lord restored that. He gave Job back his material possessions. Not only that, God restores our spiritual vitality. Sometimes we just feel weak spiritually, like we have no strength, no stamina, no energy. But listen to Psalm 23 and verse 3. David said, he restores my soul. And when he's talking about his soul, he's talking about that spiritual part of him that sometimes we just lose our, 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 our vitality and our passion. Not only that, God restores our joy. Psalm 51 and verse 12, David prayed, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Think about what had happened in David's life. He had lost his joy. Now, certainly in that case, he had lost his joy because of his own sin. And yet even then he's praying to God. He's saying, God, I'm asking you to restore to me the joy that I have lost in my life. Not only that, God restores our health. In Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 17, God said, I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. And so God is a restorer. Sometimes these bodies of ours get sick. They become diseased. And yet God is a restorer. God is a healer. And we trust him to restore our health. And not only that, God restores lost years from our lives. Years maybe that we have spent away from God. Somebody just took a different road in life and got away from God. And they sometimes think, if I could just go back and have my teenage years over again, or if I could have my young adult life, my, 20, my college years or my 20s over again. But it, God restores lost years. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, God said, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You say, now how's God going to restore the years? Well, God may lengthen a person's life. I mean, we read in the Scriptures occasions where people were about to die, and they prayed for God to add years to their life, and God did that. So sometimes God restores our years by adding years to our life. Sometimes God restores our life by adding life to our years. In other words, he may not give us any extra years, but the years remaining will be so full, so rich, so meaningful, so peaceful, so joyful, so spirit-filled that, yes, even though there may have been lost years in the past, God restores that by giving us extra fullness, extra joy, and extra peace in the years that we have remaining. And so if you're here today and you feel like, you know what, John? 
I, I need restoration. Maybe it's my peace, my joy, my courage, my energy, my hope, my vision. Some would say, you know what, it's, a mater- it's material possessions. I've been done wrong. I got cheated out of some money. I'm telling you this, if you respond properly, it's all coming back and more. Spiritual vitality, joy, health, lost years, God is a restorer. And God will give that back to you if you will respond properly. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Two questions there as we think about the restoration process. First question is, how does God restore us when we've lost one of these things? You're here today and you say, how's God going to give me that peace and that joy? How's he going to give that back to me in my life? Well, turn to Mark chapter 5. I want to answer that question. There are two answers to that. I want to show you two different stories in the life of Jesus that show how he restored people who had lost something. And he did it in completely different ways. First of all, sometimes God will restore what we have lost immediately. Immediately. We've lost something. We pray about it. God gives it back to us just like that. It doesn't take any time at all. And in Mark chapter 5, we see a beautiful, beautiful example of this. Beginning in verse 1, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but through verse 20, we read about a man who had been demon-possessed. And this man was so demon-possessed, this demon had such power on it in his life that he he was very destructive. This story even tells us that there were times he would cut himself and try to do harm to himself. You see, that's always what the demon spirits want us to do. They want us to hurt ourselves. They're trying to destroy our lives. And this man would go out in the cemeteries and he would be, even when they would try to catch him and tie him up and chain him, these demon spirits were so strong, they would bust those chains loose. And so everybody was scared of this man until one day Jesus saw him. And Jesus saw how possessed this man was and what this satanic influence had done on his life. And so Jesus cast those demons out of the man and set him completely free. And in verse number 15, I want you to notice this. It says, then they came to Jesus, now watch, and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. That is, he didn't just have one demon. He was possessed by a lot of demons. But watch what it says, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And so one of the things that this man had lost in his life by being possessed by these demons, he had lost his mental clarity. He had lost his sanity. He had lost his ability to process clear thoughts. And so when Jesus restored that man, now instead of running all over the place, being restless, cutting himself, tearing things up, hurting other people, what is this man doing? He's sitting down. And it, before Jesus had cast his demon out, he was running around with no clothes on, just completely, uh, completely possessed by this demon. Now he's clothed. And before he had lost his mind, now he's in a clear mind. And it all happened immediately. You see, some of you here today may be feeling like, you know what? I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like I can't even think clearly. I can't even process thoughts clearly. Well, that doesn't mean you're possessed by a demon. It just means that something is happening in your life, and maybe you're so overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, your mind is going a 1,000 miles an hour, and you can't slow it down. But nonetheless, Jesus can restore a calm mind to you and give you ability to sit down, to be calm, to be relaxed, not to be restless, and to have the ability to think 
clearly. And so sometimes God, uh, he, he restores us and He does it immediately like that. This may happen to some of you today in the, in, in the, in the context of this sermon today. I may, and I pray to God, Lord, help this to happen. I may say something today during the remainder of this sermon and God may take a sentence or a thought or something that I'm going to say and immediately you're restored. Immediately, your peace comes back to you. Immediately, fear melts away. Immediately, you look to the future differently than when you came in, and you have hope in your mind. Sometimes, God will restore something, and He'll do it just like that. It will be immediately. Our family had this experience a few weeks ago. We're all so appreciative of your praying for my mother, and she's doing well as she finished her first round of chemo, and she's home now, and and resting and going through some of, the, some of the things that you go through when you're going through chemo. But she's really doing remarkably well. And she has five rounds to go. Well, about, in fact, it was the day before she checked into the hospital. Our whole family had gone to MD Anderson to meet with her oncologist. And to talk about the treatment plan. And so the doctor, who up until this point had been very honest, but had not been filled with it, the visits had not been very optimistic. They had not been overly positive. They had just been very matter of fact. And the doctor had just said, look, until we get a, some kind of a biopsy on the lymphoma here, I'm not going to be able to say much at all about this. And even the things she had said kind of made us all a little bit nervous. But on this particular visit, a week and a half ago, we're in the office and the doctor's giving the, how she's going to do the chemo. And we're asking a few questions. I had almost gotten scared to ask any questions because I didn't like the answers that the lady was giving. So I thought, I'm not going to ask a lot more questions. And, but anyway, we were all sitting in there. And one of us asked a question about, like, the prognosis of this. And what the do- if the doctor thought the chemo was going to do any good. I mean, you're trying to kind of get, ask these questions. And just all of a sudden, this doctor who up until this point had not really, she's a wonderful doctor and very intelligent, but had not said anything positive. She said this. She said, you know, by looking at your preliminary biopsy and by studying your scans and your blood work, she said, I think there's a good chance that this lymphoma will completely melt away after only two rounds of chemo. And when she said that, I kind of did a double take And I wanted to say, has somebody inhabited your body? This seems like a totally different person. And I think it was my dad who said this, and he had been, he had, he'd just been very quiet, not said anything. He was letting me and Joel ask the questions, or my mom certainly asked her own questions. My dad said to that doctor, he said, are you saying this because you like our family? Or are you saying this because you have a medical reason to believe that? And she said, well, I think I like your family. You seem like nice, nice people. She said, but I'm saying this because I have a medical reason. She said, I'm saying this because according to your, her blood work, this tumor that she has is producing an enormous amount of protein. And she said, studies tell us that when a, a lymphoma tumor produces large amounts of protein, those tumors respond very well to chemotherapy. And so she said, I'm telling you, I think there's a chance after two or maybe three treatments, she's going to have to do all six of them. But she said, I think there's a chance that a good chance that this chemo can completely melt the lymphoma away. Now, she said that and immediately, just like that, we were all filled with hope. 
For the first time, we had heard something positive and optimistic from a medical perspective. Now, we know with God, all things are possible. And, and, and so we, had, we already had that. But to hear that from a doctor in the medical community was so very encouraging to us. And so I'm saying to you today, if you have lost something and you need restoration, friend, your restoration may be coming quicker than you realize. Sometimes it happens immediately. But sometimes restoration happens gradually and over the process of time. We hope that today's message on restoration has been an encouragement to you. You can find this message, along with many others, on the web at www.peacebybelieving.org. Sometimes the word restoration can refer to bringing an older work of art back to how it looked when it was new. In Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, the word workmanship can also be translated masterpiece. Have you ever thought about that, you being God's masterpiece? Well, no matter what has happened in your life, God, the master artist, wants to restore you, his masterpiece. If you are in need of restoration, we would love to partner with you in prayer. Please email us at info at peacebybelieving.org or click on the Contact Us tab of the website. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.